as soon as he finishes, he shaves his beard off every year. Like he does not want that itchy thing on his face reminding him of Fred Waterford. Luckily, he, he's excellent at growing a beard. He can grow a perfect beard in like, you know, a week. You don't Baby in her arms, husband on the floor, guy hanging in the woods. Welcome to Eyes on Gilead, a weekly podcast dedicated to The Handmaid's Tale. There is a lot going on in this show and we think it helps to talk it out after every episode, but we also think it helps to talk it out after every season and that's what we're going to be doing today with Handmaid's Tale showrunner, executive producer and friend of the podcast, Bruce Miller. He will be joining us in just a moment. I'm Fiona Williams, and I manage our online coverage of movies and TV here at SBS, and I'm joined by my friends, colleagues, and fellow resistors, Natalie Hambly, Managing Editor of SBS Voices. Hello. Heidi Island, Channel Manager of SBS On Demand. Hi. And Sana Kadar, host of All in the Mind for ABC Radio National. Hello. Hello. So we've had a week to, to uh, digest this epic season finale and put it in the perspective of season four. Have we all got questions for Bruce Miller? Hell yes. Like a thousand. <laughs> I know. We've had to cull them down a bit. We don't have Bruce for very long today. So, um, yes, we've got a million questions. And thank you to all the listeners who've submitted questions on Twitter. We've tried to incorporate as many as we can in the time limit. But, um, yeah, we could just go on all day with Bruce. Uh, we're just going to have to have him back, aren't we? Anyway... Let's get straight to it. No one wants to hear us. You've heard us all season. So let's hear from Mr. Bruce Miller, who is about to join us in our Zoom room. Mr. Bruce Miller, it is such a pleasure to have you back on Eyes on Gilead. It's nice to be here. It's always a treat to talk to you. Um, and may we say thank you for the gift that has been season four of The Handmaid's mm-hmm. Tale. We got almost everything we wanted this year. Thank you. I'm glad you think it's a gift. <laughs> Truly. Uh, you gave us almost everything we've wanted and a couple of things <laughs> we probably didn't need to see. But, um, you know, you've kept us shocked and exhilarated and devastated the whole time. We have a bunch of questions. We've got some listener questions as well. We want to get stuck in. So, yeah, are you ready? <laughs> uh, sure, I'm ready. They're also, the, the script is available. I don't usually release the script, but MGM released it through script notes, I think. is it, They just did an interview and they have the script, which is, I mean, it's the really the script. It's, it's, and it has stuff in it that we cut out of the episode. I mean, it's really just, it's very embarrassing for me that it's out there, but for you, I'm sure it'd be very nice to read. But for me, it's like, you know, like finding the ugliest picture from seventh grade and just using that as your profile picture forever. So, well, we will be devouring that <laughs> like a handmaid in the, in the woods. <laughs> Speaking of that, um, on the Fred demise, shall we say, um, how did you arrive at that particular method of assassination and what was on the B list? <laughs> Uh, uh, well, I mean, it wasn't complicated for me. They were, you know, salvaging Fred. They were doing what, you know, what what um, Mark Twell says to him when he sends it back to Gilead is right, which is you're going to be tried under the formal Gilead legal system. You're going to be punished. So that's up to them. Well, yeah. this is what they do in their legal system. So, you know, it's all according to their own rules. So kind of in the it would be different if he was going to die by accident. But there can be poetry when June is choosing how he dies. You know, when someone is choosing, it's it's like people talk about how pretty Gilead is and how it has such a nice aesthetic. And it's pretty because they want it to be pretty. It's not pretty by accident. They work really, really hard to make it pretty. So this can be 
creepy and meaningful in a scary way because there's besides me, there's some decision behind it. You know, you don't want to make that, you know, you don't want to make nature be the poetic. You want it to be June that really wants a certain kind of poetic justice because then it means something that she decided to do it this way and decided to bite him. <laughs> well, the good thing is that we say goodbye to Fred this season, but we do also have to say goodbye to Joseph Fiennes. Um, I was wondering if you would like to talk for a minute about what you think he brought to the character Fred. Uh, so, so much. I mean, we do have a bit of a contest on our show of who, what actor is the furthest from their character. Mm-hmm. And, and they're all pretty far from, you know, even, even Lizzie is, is very far from, from June. Sure. But I think Joe would certainly win that contest on many, many episodes. Uh, he's a lovely gentleman um, and a spectacular actor, just so precise and thoughtful and, you know, brave. I mean, we think of how nefarious and awful he is able to make himself and also mm-hmm. so gross and grabby and knowing that, you know, Lizzie isn't going to judge him and, and you know, that, that, you know, he's just, he, he has to be everything that Joe Fiennes does not like to be <laughs> and everything that Joe Fiennes doesn't want to teach his daughters to be in the world. So in that way, it's been difficult for him. Honestly difficult. I don't think he watches the show. Oh. Um, and as soon as he finishes, he shaves his beard off every year. Oh. Like he does not want that itchy thing on his face, reminding him of Fred Waterford. Luckily, he, like everything else, he's excellent at growing a beard. He can grow a perfect beard in like, you know, a week if I call him ahead of time. But like everything else, he's wonderful. But um, I think the intimacy, the the depth of pain that you're able to see in the Fred-June scenes of kind of real misogyny and real, like when, when, when he's very scary, when she doesn't know how to, when she's in his office and she doesn't know how to pick, none of that would have been possible without the trust that he's engenders from Elizabeth Moss and, and, and all the other people on the, on the cast. He is a gentle, wonderful human being. He's a very generous actor. And I, I, you know, the the how terrifying that character is above and beyond anything I ever imagined, you know, is only kind of exceeded by the fact that you still, you know, you, you just can't believe that he's as that he can still suck people. And you guys were commenting on the book he had in his office in his cell yeah. mm-hmm. and you said he didn't read it. Oh, yeah, he read that. <laughs> Talking and making arguments is what he He's good at that. And there's nothing else. He's great at the appearance of it. So um, it's a tragedy to lose Joseph Fiennes, although, you know, we are a show that jumps around through time. So I'm hoping to have him back. I mean, I spoke to Joe about this, you know, in a, in a, in a flashback, if, if at all possible. We, we do as many flashbacks as we can. It ends up being a, a real estate issue as opposed to a desire issue. <laughs> well, that is good to know. <laughs> I wanted to move to our main girl, June. I want to ask about her. Um, so in the final scenes of the episode, she asks Luke for five minutes. What does she anticipate uh, might happen in the wake of her actions? What do you guys think she's waiting for? <laughs> uh, well, what I think is, is, and I've said this before, you know, the, the end of a season is a really interesting thing and it's kind of only a TV thing because, you know, movies don't have an end of a season. It's almost more like you know, kind of uh, serialized movies from from a long time ago, you know, with cliffhangers or, or serialized uh, books like, um, you know, Dickens was all put out one week at a you know, one week or one month at a time. And so that was yeah. the that's why if you read them all put together, every chapter seems to end with like 
what is an end of an episode of, of our show. <laughs> so I think I want the end of the season to really be the end of one story, but the beginning of something else. And so that's the beginning of something else. That's the, the reckoning between two different things. One is her wanting to do this and knowing if I was a good mother, I wouldn't, it, it'll destroy me as a mother. Mm. And the other thing is Lawrence saying to her, this isn't going to be enough. You know, yeah. and so those two things are kind of warring in your head at this point. You know, are you saying to your husband, I did these terrible things and I'm not going to do any more? Probably not. So we spend a lot of our time kind of pushing off reckonings, you know, like, can we talk about that tomorrow? Can we do that? And so if I'm going to leave the audience in limbo for so long and I hate doing it, but I'm just <laughs> pokey, then I, you want to leave them in a place that they're comfortable. And I think having a question you don't particularly want to face is a place that we've all been. Um, but I think she's five minutes away from a reckoning. I think she thinks she can't she thinks she has decided that she is not a person with new problems. She's a new person. And that person is not good for all these other people around her. It's probably not good for her. But first, you know, she's got to remove herself from here. So I think that's what she's feeling. And, but it really is one of those things where I'm just trying to under, underline a chaotic moment. I don't want to ruin it for you guys and say, start thinking about next season. I want to underline the moment she's just had. So if she comes in, she's just picking up the baby and holding it. It's one moment. If the husband comes in and sees his wife covered in blood holding their baby, which in any show is a good first scene, um, and, and sees that and starts to get upset like you would if you guys walked in on your partners with holding your progeny and covered in blood. So uh, I think it's a good, it's a really interesting place to both stop and start. And so that's why I kind of push out a few minutes. Like, it's not like we're stopping and he's going to open his mouth in a second. I didn't want you to feel that. I wanted you to feel like this is what's going on. And these are the two things or three things she's thinking of. Baby in her arms, husband on the floor, guy hanging in the woods. That's it. Have a nice break. Have a nice season. <laughs> Thanks for that. See you in five minutes. We've got a listener question. We've got one from Melanie Elron. Question for Bruce. What is Serena's status now? She's got rape charges were dropped. She had immunity from the ICC. So is she just an asylum seeker now? Uh, yeah, well, not necessarily because she um, she came over under a different kind of agreement rather than she didn't ask. She didn't say I'm a citizen. You have to say I'm a citizen of the U.S. and I'd like asylum because I'll be in danger. None of those things mm. really apply. She's got a different status, but her status basically is that she's fulfilled her deal with the ICC by bringing them Fred. And now that she's been processed, as soon as she gets through with the signing the papers of getting out and also gets the approval of, you know, Mark Twell and the people she made the deal with, she's free. But she might be free with, you know, you know, free is a very interesting word, but, but free with support is very different than free. Yeah. Sia, she doesn't have... A, a penny to her name or a outfit to her body. She doesn't own anything like June back in Gilead. So yeah. free is interesting in that case. Mm. But she has no charges pending. Yeah. Okay. That's good to to clear up. I um I've seen a bit of a, a shift in Serena's character this season and have, you know, felt quite sorry for her at times. How have you seen Serena changing this season and in what ways do you envisage she'll react to her newfound freedom? Uh wow. Well, um so much of it is is, you know, I put in a drop and and uh, you know, Ivan Strahovski turns it into a beautiful, delicious mojito. Um, and, and she is, she's, so a lot of it is 
I did the same thing you do, which is I watch the season and see I wrote you this way and you did this because she's so good at doing that with all these little tiny moments. She's a spectacular actress. And I know you guys know that once again, she could not be further from her character. Yeah. You know, she's just a big, loud Australian and, and, you know, who happens to look like Grace Kelly. But I think for her, I think this season, what I really wanted to do was when Serena knows that the best thing to do is something, the most logical thing to do, the most chance of success is something that she doesn't want to do emotionally. That's my favorite kind of dynamic. So she knows, she gradually realizes that Fred is still the best route. And I love the fact that she just sucks it up and does it because that's who she is, is that it's just amazing that, you know, she makes the best logical choice and she can take so much damage and responsibility and and punishment to her emotional state. But she'll do the thing that's logical for her, the best thing for her. (laughs) So, you know, I guess if you're a spider, you don't spin your web someplace nice and cozy. You spin it somewhere where the flies are going to fly, even if it's unpleasant (laughs) for you. It's <laughs> a great analogy. Um, I wanted to ask about Janine because she's always so fascinating to watch. She's changed a lot this season. How would you say she's evolved and, and what does that mean for her next season? Uh, Janine is, is um, such a wonderful character. And once again, really born from Madeline Brewer's performance. You know, she never lets Janine seem crazy or divorced from reality. Because I always thought of Janine, and we've always written her as a character who's very strong. I mean, she's choosing a method of survival that seems to be working out very well for her. She seems a lot less miserable than the people around her. So say what you want about her, Mm. you know, a little bit, few inches off the ground attitude. Mm. She seems to be sane, and she kept her other eye, and God bless her, you know. So anyway, she's a very smart, very strong woman. What I was trying to show is her moving to integrate past Janine, the Janine we saw for the first five minutes before her eye was taken out and the Janine we saw in flashback into the Janine she's been forced into. And I think that her friends, the women all knew that that Janine was there, that tough, like, like that she had, you know, they got frustrated with her, but they knew that that was there. And I think that through this season, as other handmaids have been killed and she's been abandoned, she's taken over a leadership role. And now's the first time she gets to express it. And I think in the final episode, you see a Janine that's a unified person the toughness from before found a way to live in the terror of now, but also she learned from June and she learned she didn't want to be that kind of person. You know, she didn't want to be the person who tells her, you know, Mrs. Keys, don't break, you know, dig your heels in because she knows what that's going to do. And that's probably what June would have done or just not said anything and let her be down there tough because that was the stand to take. And, you know, Janine's lost some body parts in this process. And, and, and so I think that she's uh, a little more careful. She has a, a different attitude than June. I, I think June coming in now would have a different attitude after she realized everything she lost and everything that happened. But, but I think that Janine is definitely entering into her own leadership time, whether or not she, whoever she has to lead, that's one thing. But I think suddenly she feels much more comfortable as a manager. Hmm, intriguing. <laughs> We're going to re- replay these comments to try and <laughs> read everything into everything you're saying. you gotta, you got to remember, I'm not subtle. <laughs> I know you've so you kind of so read things. stuff in. No, I mean, usually, um, you know, like people were talking online about how they were sure Janine was alive because they saw her in the background of the explosion. Like, 
That's how I would yeah. tell you Janine yeah. was alive, one of the <laughs> best characters in the show. I would make it so that you had to stop the video, look away. I'm not like mean, and I'm also, no, I mean, I'm like incredibly ham fisted, you know? <laughs> we don't hide, we fight. Go kill that guy. I mean, it's not subtle stuff. Mm. <laughs> so Wake up, everyone. Yes. <laughs> we got to get better at this. It means um, what it means. Yes, exactly. We appreciate that. <laughs> um, another list of questions. This one's from Dave. It uh, says, love all caps, EP10, and love Nick and June. Can you please explain why Nick doesn't leave Gilead at this point? And I like this bit. Or even in EP9, hop in June's car. Um, hoping not to watch him as a commander much longer now that there's really no reason for him to stay there. Uh, well, first of all, it's his... It's his home. And I mean, yes, I mean, he's he's there because, you know, A, he has a lot of power there and a lot of influence, a lot more than you, you know, uh, you know, he's relatively safe. He wouldn't be safe at all in anywhere else. Certainly the people from Gilead would try to kill him if he ran away. And also, you know, we don't know what other ties he has, but I think he feels like he's put in his lot with these people and he's not someone who can walk away. I don't think he feels I didn't think he felt worthy of June at the beginning, much less worthy of freedom. He doesn't feel worthy of the child. He doesn't feel worthy of any of this. He's he's like he's the most lost soul romantic. Any any romance at all that he he wants so much of that and he gets none of it. And it's so so every drop is so desperate. Any any so I think that he's someone who doesn't think he deserves to be happy at all. He thinks he deserves to be dead if he ever, you know, kind of right now. I think he's in a position where he's certainly continuing and supporting something that he doesn't believe in in his mind saying, I'm doing the best I can. But I think he's done things before. And, you know, we've had stories about the things that he's done before that we haven't been able to use that, that, you know, put him, he, he, he put his lot in with these people and that's it. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> next one is from um, Colored Francie. And she says, who do you see as the most formidable antagonist still left on the Gilead side? Uh, I really don't think about things that way. Um, gosh, I, um, in fact, I'm not really sure which one's supposed to be the antagonist or which one's <laughs> the protagonist because I, right. I'm dyslexic and that yep. always happens. So I think you mean bad guy. So uh, <laughs> listen, I mean, I, I think some of the most formidable antagonists would probably be on the Toronto side. I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, certainly June is one of the most, I, I wouldn't want to go up against June. She's certainly one of the biggest, the toughest antagonists I've ever faced. So um, I would say, you know, uh, there's certainly tons and tons of people in positions of power back in Gilead who we don't see, who kind of are the face of the faceless. But Lawrence and Lawrence, to a certain degree, Nick, but Lawrence, Lawrence is a survivor. That's all mm. he is. And every, you know, there's, he has no other agenda and look how good he is at it. Right. He survived. Um, and the other thing, you know, Nick feels the same way about June, uh, you know, no matter what he does, where is she now? He did exactly what he had to do to keep her alive and get her out. So anybody who talks about why didn't she do this? Why didn't he do that? Because he couldn't, but she's alive and she wouldn't be. She'd be dead. And so I think that that um, the people with the power to keep her alive are also the people that that's the people you should be afraid of. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, the biggest Serena is certainly the biggest enemy, you know, I have. And in the uh, Aunt Lydia and that whole power structure as well, I think she's very, very um, a very big thorn in the side of Aunt Lydia in, <laughs> as, as she was when she was there. So yeah. uh, the, the battle lines that have been drawn are drawn still. Yeah. Yeah. Great. 
Speaking of Aunt Lydia, um, we've had a couple of nods to the Testaments this season, and I'm wondering what the official status of the Testaments spinoff is. Uh, the official status is that we're, I'm still kind of noodling exactly how to make the transition into it. Yeah. But yeah, there are, there are pieces here. I mean, and certainly uh, Lydia's Lydia has not been someone to exert power to try to manipulate the power structure above her head mm. ever. We haven't seen her do that. She pushes a little and she pushes a little down below. And she certainly, but when we see her with Fred in the, in season one, she's not an employee, but she's, you know, under him status that all turns around this season. And that's the turn, the turn that she feels like she has enough power to exert. Mm. And we start to see where that power comes from, which is just, the fact that she's got a girl in every house. So that's just like the eyes. So she has all this power of information. And Lawrence is, you know, a survivor. And a survivor plus someone who has ways to survive are a good combination for a really, really long time, but not forever. So I think that that's where you see the Testaments getting uh, laid in. And also just kind of the the more over time that we've shown the complexities of kind of how the, how the hierarchy eats itself all the time, it's hard to show on a television show because those things are very broad. But when you see social friends like the Putnam's coming up and saying, you might not want to come back because they'll kill you or you might want to, you know, however they're kind of pushing all of a sudden you realize that they're all in a big power game that has huge high stakes. And it seems like they're friends and it's hard to paint that on a big stage it's it's better to do kind of intimately one on one on one but that power structure is something I, I mean honestly you know margaret watched the show before she started to write the book so kind of the the stuff we were on the working towards you know i assume she incorporated a, a, you know in she certainly uh, did in in our conversation so i think that they fit together well i mean they're they're built to fit together well the book the series and the the second book i think that if I look at what Handmaid's Tale should be in the end, you kind of just want it to be a nice set of DVDs that you put between Handmaid's Tale and the Testaments <laughs> on your shelf, just something to cover that area. You know, so, so I think that, you know, it's it's designed to do that. So I, I, I am not worried about whether whether it's going to be a separate show or integrated into the show. It's kind of a businessy decision that's not really, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll help make the decision. Um, but certainly this, the story is fascinating and already just leading up to it, it's hard not to put more elements in there like you know you know we want to lay the groundwork for emissaries coming to to canada there certainly wouldn't be any yet and in the real world that would take you know 50 seasons so we're gonna have to you know and i want those things to feel real so that's you know pearl girls don't make it into this season but other things do fantastic thank you um Nodded it to it before with um, with the Janine theory of her being in the background, but you're so active on Twitter this season and we absolutely love it. What is the wildest fan theory that you saw take off? <laughs> like what are some of the theories that you just went, what, where did you get that from? Are there any? Uh, there, there are tons. I think the thing is people um, make a guess and then go down a rabbit hole. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, God bless. It's my, I love doing it on other shows. I mean, I think it's wonderful. And certainly we pay excruciating attention to details. So yeah. oftentimes you're noticing something we put in there on purpose. It was there to mean something. So my worry is always when people say, well, this means this and this means this. My biggest things are things I felt like I had in the script or I had a way to deliver the information. And then I didn't because I didn't think it worked or it didn't work in the scene. And everybody is dying for that piece of information. Like <laughs> June went to therapy, you know, like ah. those things. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> first of all, 
everybody is really nice to say, why doesn't June go to therapy? Do you think they offer therapy to refugees in our country or around? They don't offer anything. They wouldn't offer her anything. The fact that she has a house to live in is crazy. You know, offer her therapy. Mm. Why should she get free therapy? I mean, well, you know, our, you know, they, she should. Of course she should. But mm. we aren't, they aren't, refugees aren't supported like that in this world. Mm. So it's nice that everybody thinks she should get therapy, but so should everybody mm. else's refugee get therapy who's been through something like this. But I was surprised by how many refugees who we spoke to and refugee case managers who we spoke to who said they don't avail themselves of that, that the last thing they want to do is go over this stuff again. I mean, it's it's not like something you repressed. It's not like you're going to a therapist to bring it back up or to, you don't want to relive it. You, you don't have a problem, you know. So as far as they're concerned, they're like, fuck that. I don't want to go. So there's a lot of that. So that was a concern because there was a line of dialogue, a couple of lines of dialogue that I cut out because I had a bad edit and I couldn't get around it. So I mm. cut out the dialogue, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, so, you know, like that is always frustrating because you want to, it's my mistake. Another thing was, you know, just her wearing red afterwards was also another kind of extrapolation from conversations we had with refugees, not a direct thing, but just that that the idea of, doing a lot of the things that you did before because they've reduced your anxiety. And if you were beaten, if you didn't wear red, if you noticed yourself in a mirror and you weren't in red before you realized you were in Toronto, you might get a hell of a panic attack. So that's kind of the, the, the anything to reduce your anxiety. That certainly wasn't a story that we were told. And we, you know, we have designs on, you know, it's a very important color to us. And it was a very important color to Lizzie and to June and the director. So, and once again, it's mindful. It's not accidental. So you can really tell a story with it. You know, June's putting on that coat to go out in the woods and shed some blood. It means something. Yeah. A lot of the theories we're noticing are around the paternity. Now that mm. um, we know Fred, um, you know, is the father of Serena's baby, uh, or is he? That's another theory that's going around. But um, <laughs> the, the paternity of Nicole, people have been questioning now. <laughs> Were you expecting that that twist? Uh, no, I, I, I wasn't expecting that. Um, <laughs> uh, but I have to wait and talk to my writers before, only because everybody's been doing press in a million different places, and, and Lizzie and I haven't even spoken about any of this yet. Uh, because it didn't even come up because I didn't even think about it. So uh, I can't say anything because someone else might be out there thinking of a story that works really well with it happening another way. So it was never intended to say that, you know, um, they would have done a they would have done a paternity test. So I'll, I'll, I'll see what happens. But yes, they would have done a paternity test as soon as she got there. <laughs> Good to know. One of the things that always seems to happen is that the episodes always pick up right where they left off. Is that an important rule of writing Handmaids? And does that give us a clue of where season five will start? You know, it's completely unintentional. And it's my decision. And it's completely unintentional. And I think it has something to do with some sort of mental illness that I have um, about not, you know, it. the show is so much one thing. It's The Handmaid's Tale. It's from June's point of view. And I feel like if you miss something that June goes through, it leaves a hole for me. It's like, so I, I really don't want to miss something important that's happening. So I don't do it intentionally. I just think when I start to, you know, when I start to think about next season, I sit down with a pen and paper and I go, okay, well, what would happen next? You know, that's all I do. It's very simple. And so the problem is I'm kind of going, oh, well, 10 seconds later would be this and this and this. And then I find stuff I like. So, um, you know, I could jump. There's no problem with jumping. And, and I try so hard not to have any 
rules on the show. You know, these kinds of shows, especially when you're entering season five, you know, they drown over under always and never. We always do this and we never do that. Uh, they, it's just not a good way to, to do it because sometimes you have to do stuff that's cool, you know, in a different way. But Lizzie noticed. Lizzie said to me, well, we always start where we finish. And I it had never even occurred to me. So I like it. And also there's something I like about uh, pulling people into the show quickly, but not on a like a, in the first five minutes. I'm talking about the first 0.4 seconds or 0.2 seconds. So that's why it's just the title and the show. <laughs> you know, it's it, it, because I feel, and so that is also an element of that, which is don't start in motion, but start with June. Where's June? Where's June? Right, you know, at the, at the beginning of this season starts, I don't know if you remember, they're carrying her and it's just, it's a red screen and we see handmaids come apart and reveal her in between being carried. And that's it. It's where's June. And so I think that that kind of lends itself. It doesn't force you to do that, but it lends itself to that. So we're still processing season four, of course, but we'd love to know if you've started writing season five yet. And if the, the vibe is a bit different this season, there's a, you know, there's a COVID vaccine, Fred's dead, you know, how are you feeling? <laughs> um, I, well, all of those things, it's so funny because all of those things really do weigh on, like, you know, because we are in a business and you guys are slightly too, that we come together after a break. I mean, we, mm. we write a whole season. And then as I'm shooting it, I lose writers. They go off and work on other shows and then we shoot the show. And then I finish doing the post-production and then we put it out, which is a part of it. I always forget is coming the, the show it to humans part of it. And so we're apart for a long time. So when we come back together, we are always apart from each other. So when you come back together, there is a big catch up of what has happened and what has changed. But I do think that the show has always been about how to fight the long fight, how to fight a generational fight, because the book was about that. At the end of the book, Gilead doesn't fall. And when you hear the, the notes at the very end of the book, it didn't fall for 100 or 200 years. It wasn't even those children or those children's children. Yeah. So I think that that's what the show has been focused on. And I think that when you look at the things that are happening in the world, you know, you get rid of the president and all the problems don't just disappear, you know, get a vaccine and all the problems don't just disappear. And so I think that it's the, mm. the idea of, I mean, I think long generational fights like fighting climate change or social injustice or racial injustice or all of the injustices we have in the world are just kind of basic being nice to each other stuff, all of those things take so long, they're annoying. I mean, because you don't ever get anywhere in your life. And I think that's the thing that we have to get more used to is not making any fucking progress, just fighting on. And that's what June is doing. She's just moving the ball down the field. She's just trying to weaken Gilead, trying to fight for her daughter. And it may be her fight. It may be her grandchildren's fight, but she's going to fight it. And so I think that coming back in a world where we've made all this progress is showing you how much progress we have to make. Right. <laughs> well, I, we know you've, you're on a bit of a tight schedule. Um, we have a million more questions for you, Bruce. <laughs> um, feel free to jump in our Zoom room anytime you like. <laughs> we are we literally here all the time. <laughs> um, um, I have a few questions for you. Before oh, we, or a few things. Just, just wow. a few. Um, Sana, is that who you Yes, yeah. 
Um, you talked about uh, when you were a kid, your parents would talk about rivers of milk and honey and how gross that sounded. <laughs> yes, yeah. There was actually a line in the script. There was a line of voiceover that she said. She says, you'll be, you know, at the end of the thing, she says, you know, you will be in a land of milk and honey. And she says, which sounds kind of gross. Oh, my God, that's hilarious. <laughs> which actually sounds kind of gross, which does sound really it's gross, so actually. It's so gross. That is so It's hilarious so gross. Know. I mean, both of those things, but together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, and I hated milk. You know, and what sounds super dangerous, a river of honey just always terrifies. Like, oh my God. It's like molasses <laughs> killed a bunch of people in Boston. And, you know, it's, I don't know. Uh, see, that's, yeah, <laughs> that would have worked for me. Thanks for sharing that. That's amazing to know. Okay. So I picked up on something there. <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was, it was actually in there. So, um, but I, I'm trying to think, I, I sit there and talk back to your show so that's it's hilarious it's amazing to know that you guys listen like i'm always not quite believing it because i'm like surely not they're busy people but yeah that's amazing because it's horrifying uh, because we get things wrong all the time <laughs> forgive us that, honestly that's what i need to know you know you said i've been on twitter a lot this season and most of it is to see what lands and what doesn't or, or how do people take things or not that you're going to adjust but you know i'm pushing the show on the edge of not being understandable all the time, you know, mm. too subtle for my own good, too clever mm. by half. And so if you're pushing on that edge, you got to have some way to check if you're getting enough for people <laughs> to move on and know what's going on. And so listening to you guys, you get so much right of the, you know, kind of the second level stuff that oh, I wow. try to put on there that I'm looking to see, oh, well, if they've got those things right, mm. what did I get wrong? Well, we do go to town with your show. So thank you. <laughs> we, we love it. Well, it's it's my pleasure, and it's so lovely to see all of you again. And did you talk to Liz Garbus? We're going to. Yes, we're going okay. to go to, go to she, town. She, yeah, she did it all. It, well, yeah, her and Lizzie did it all. I was back in Los Angeles. I mean, I, I couldn't be on set because of COVID. So Lizzie, and especially Liz in this finale, she had never been on the show before. She did such a spectacular job. Mm. Um, she's yet another wee woman who is, you know, driving art forward, her and Lizzie, all these, all these little tiny powerhouses. Um, <laughs> but most of this season was made alone without my, uh, you know, I edited and I was on the phone, yeah. but, but unfortunately I wasn't essential. So, so, and to make this show with COVID was astonishing. All those scenes in Chicago, we couldn't have more than 10 people mm. in front of the camera. So there's whole scenes about extras and there are no extras there. Wow. We had to put them all in afterwards. So it was amazing. That is extraordinary, yeah. And the whole thing was written to be shot in the summer. Well, I wondered about like that. Like being on a boat yeah. in the middle of a lake. And then we get pushed and we shot it in the middle of winter, which some winters it's not, you can't get across. Yeah, yeah. Because I wonder, because usually you guys film in the autumn, winter, and this is the first time you were starting in spring. So I wondered what the plan was to have it set in spring, summer. But yeah, clearly that got trashed. Yeah, we did. This was it. This was the plan. And it just ended up being so in addition to it being COVID and in addition to us stopping and then starting again with all of those problems, including Esther growing a few inches. Um, she's the most lovely actress, you guys, just absolutely spectacular. So smart. She's like a so excited to be there. Such a professional, calm, all the kind of things. But she is 14. So between the time we stopped and the time we started, I think she was more worried about growing out of the role than I was mm. concerned. But she did grow in her face. You know, it's such a cool age for her, her face sharpened up. She's, you know, unlike everybody else, I had never seen her mm. before when I cast her. But she's just terrific. And, and I think she reminds Lizzie of a little her. So uh, 
it was great to see them work together. But the but you should get as many of those people on your show as you can. They're all just wonderful and smart and best people to talk about acting I've ever ever encountered. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Like I say, the Zoom room is always open. Um, and especially with OT this year, I mean, seeing more of Luke and the, the more more shades to Luke's character um, has been has been a real pleasure. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, I think our writing has caught up with him. I mean, because we haven't been able to give him much screen time. The thing that I was thinking about this season that's been so interesting is that he's been through such a trauma and in a normal person's life, he would be treated with kid gloves by every single human he met for the rest of his life if his mm. child and wife had been torn away and then he'd been shot and traveled, you know, and, you know, he had this horrible experience, but he's in a world where everybody <laughs> has been through such terrible trauma yeah. that all of a sudden he doesn't even seem like someone who would have a trauma disorder. Yeah. Um, the same thing with Mark Toello. Can you imagine how many Junes he's had to deal with or how <laughs> many Serenas or how many, I mean, one after another, he's heard those stories, not just from June, but he's heard those stories from a thousand, two thousand other people. It's and you can't do anything about it. You know, you can't you can't help. You can't do anything about it. But O.T. is a spectacular actor in that he's um, it's once again the way that he talks about it. It's really trust with Lizzie. But he and Lizzie are both now directors. I mean, he directs and writes his own. Yep. I think he wrote and directed, produced and starred in a show, in fact. So the, the way they talk, I think, has changed this season. And I think that might be a function of it. But honestly, it's just such an interesting, rich and untapped area for him to play. I mean, you don't see it on TV. You know, he's falling apart. You know, he's 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 what would happen to me in this situation. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, um, I like the fact that people are having some controversy about the way he acts and all sorts of stuff. But certainly there's nothing, I mean, honestly, there's nothing that comes out of his mouth that wouldn't come out of my stupid <laughs> mouth at the wrong time. So that's, you know, that's, it, no one's perfect. But I think that as much as I love Luke and June, OT and Lizzie is something to see, to see them work together. They're, yeah. It's so quiet and they talk to each other so quietly. It's all smiling and laughing and it's a, just, it's an mm. intimate thing to see and they've now been doing it for five or six years it's it makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up when you watch them do it in person it's amazing yeah he's been magnificent to watch this season he's been great yeah i love how far ahead she is of her as a character when they're on the steps outside she says so did you guys write your own vows she's like what's up <laughs> he's like 19 you know, he's like 19 scenes ahead you know yeah he's like okay um because you know you got to remember he was married before He's been yeah. through a lot of these jitters and everything before. The thing that I would like to say about all our actors is they, in a normal year, spend a lot of time and energy getting to us to shoot on the show. Where, and all of them have very big careers and do not have to do that yeah. and are not required by contracts to do that. They, they do it because they love the show. OT is so much that person travels from across the world to be there on the right Thursday. This year, that became an impossible problem. Um, we were allowed to bring people into Canada, but they had, a, they had to quarantine for two weeks and then quarantines for two weeks on the other end. So each day of work was a month. Mm. It was like being in some sort of time warp. OT came, you know, Alexis, all these people, they had families back home that were, they couldn't expose all of these kind of things. Yeah. Um, and then we lost some people. Cherry Jones had a, had, had, could not come up. Clea Duvall, who, just I adore who plays who plays Sylvia. 
mm. just couldn't come up. I mean, there's just, there's no way she has a family here. There's no, so the impact on the stories is heartbreaking for me that there were stories we were going to tell, you know, there were <sighs> stories about Alexis and, and Clea and that life and, and Charlie Seltzer, the little boy, the little boy who did was available for us one day. Yeah. Um, was, was so, so, so cute. So I think that, that they go so far out of their way for us. They must find something really interesting in the performances. I always think I'm just giving them my little Sanitary Christmas pageant dialogue and they're being nice to me, but I guess they like it. Um, so a little hint there, you mentioned Cherry Jones, so there would have been a bit of a holly moment. I always mm. look for those holly Oh, moments. yeah, more than one. I mean, we love we love her. I love I love what you can see of June in her, just like mm. you, what you could see of Serena. In, and I, I'm sorry, please look up the actress's name for me. I forget her name off the top of my head. Played Serena's mom. Um, oh, yes. But you see so much of, of who they are and who these women are. And I love that June had trouble with her mom. And now yeah. kind of some of that trouble is really keeping her alive and some of that trouble is still getting her into trouble. It's just, it's <laughs> set, it, you know, Cherry Jones is such a spectacular, strong actor. Yeah. There's an actor and actor dynamic between them that translate in, into a strong mother daughter dynamic. I mean, they're, it's lovely to watch. And I mean, honestly, I mean, if I, if I have a chance to use, put Cherry Jones in a TV show, you do, you know, yeah. you do for posterity's sake. I mean, she's, She's so spectacular. So yes, there was lots. Of, there was a story with her, and, and there was more with building up Una and all, and Una and, okay. and Moira and all of those stories. But Zowie Ashton, who's a very busy actress in in Britain, uh, could only get to us for a short period of time, and one of those had to be that boat. And so, right. <laughs> uh, so you know all the inside baseball that ends up affecting your viewing enjoyment. Uh, so I hope it didn't affect you too much this year, but. Uh, all I see are the things I wasn't able to do. It's such oh. a great show. What are you talking about? It's amazing. We now have this gaping hole of like no handmaids for like another year and we don't know what, yeah. how we're going to fill it. Yeah, what do we uh, do, well, Bruce? I'll come back, I'll come back every week. <laughs> or hold okay. you to uh, <laughs> You guys would be so bored. Um, th- I do have to go, though. Um, thank you yes. so much. This was just uh, lovely, and I do really enjoy listening to the to the show. If you didn't all sound precisely alike, it would help. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Sorry, we'll, we'll adopt accents for next year. Um, yeah. Thank you, Bruce. It's always a pleasure, and please come back next season. Um, it's my pleasure as well, and I really do appreciate you, uh, you know, caring enough to dig around in the show. It's very, very fun to listen to, and I, I don't sit there cursing your name, believe me. <laughs> I, I sit there blushing. You know, it's like it's like ego, ego boosting. So, <laughs> well, we're happy to help in any way we can. Yeah. Thank um, you very much. <laughs> we'll let you go. Thank you so much, okay. Bruce. Yes, okay. thank, thank you. you. Take care. Have a good time. <laughs> See you later. Guys, I'm going to be like floating on cloud nine for <laughs> the rest of the year till next season <laughs> to know that Bruce listened to something I said and remembered it and commented on it. Oh, my goodness. He's got such a crazy big brain. I could just like we could we could sit with him for like two hours just totally. talking. Like we could have a whole episode just on one character at a time, you know, yeah. like everything that he says yeah. about. Um, OK, of course, I'm going to say Nick again, but like even like the Nick perspective you know like that was actually so interesting like I would love a deep dive on that and of course like his insights into how all the characters act as much as we try to pull it apart every week it's so different to what we think you know like he's just got such Mm. a um a great window into all of them yeah all right well 
Thanks for listening. That was fun. And we hope it helped with some of those theories about season four and some of those plot points. Good to know Holly was going to be in it. Sad to know she couldn't be because of COVID. Just another another casualty of COVID. Um, we're going to stay in the Zoom room in case Bruce wants to come back. <laughs> we're never leaving. here all year. <laughs> we're just twiddling our thumbs. You've got the link, Bruce, anytime. Um, thank you to my co-hosts, uh, Natalie Hambly, Sana Kadar and Haiti Island and our magnificent audio producer, Jeremy Wilmot. We'll be back. We're not waiting until the new season of Handmaid's drops we've got a couple of uh, bonuses left up our sleeves so keep this feed active and we'll have new episodes drop in here when we've got them but in the meantime why not leave some feedback and give us a rating on your favorite podcast app it helps other people to find the show and if they haven't watched handmates yet i mean what are they even doing but when they do they'll know (laughs) hopefully to come and listen to us go to town on it and in the meantime keep the hashtag alive we're still there so yeah use the hashtag eyes on gilead with some further thoughts about the season to date the series to date while you have them so use that hashtag eyes on gilead you can find me there at anything but fifi sana where can we find you at sana underscore kadar haiti at haiti island and Natalie, where can we find you? At Natalie Hambly. And look, we don't know what we're watching now that there's no Fresh Handmaids episodes. We're just, <laughs> we're at a loss, quite frankly. But uh, why not dive into SBS On Demand? That's probably where I'm going to be spending my time. Eyes on Gilead is produced by me, Fiona Williams, and edited and mixed by Jeremy Wilmot. Until next time, don't let the bastards grind you down. You don't own me. That's it. Have a nice break. Have a nice season up. Need a few minutes to reset? Great Minds is a podcast from SBS that guides you through different meditation styles from around the world. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.